0: All right. Good morning. Welcome to Mount Olive. So glad you joined us. I know there's uh, lots of new people. Uh, Maybe last week was your first week when we did an outdoor service and had food and. it was amazing, it was so fun. Uh, this week we're just kind of back to meat and potatoes, you know, just the normal uh, Sunday morning church service um, without feeding you. Uh, so glad you joined us. We're in a series, if you missed last week, and this is your first week with us, or you've been away a while, uh, we're starting a series called Simon Says, Who Are You Following? And uh, uh, last week I kind of introed the, the entire series by talking about this whole idea of following. And it's human to follow. There's nothing wrong about following we all follow it is human nature to follow we all follow someone or something or a bunch of someone's and a bunch of somethings Uh, but we all follow and there's nothing wrong with following Uh, but what we also saw is that although there's nothing wrong with following following can get you in a lot of trouble if you follow the wrong something or the wrong someone and uh, and so I I start I kind of intro the, the series with a question because um, a few of us, you know, when we say, well, you know, you're, don't follow someone who's going to lead you somewhere you don't want to be. And most of us would say, well, well, duh, I wouldn't follow someone or something that led me to a place I don't want to be. Um, most of us are pretty smart. Um, we don't intentionally ruin or wreck our lives. And yet at the same time, if we're honest, um, we probably can look back at our life and say, there have been moments where... Uh, I did follow and I didn't take a a wise perspective on things. And uh, we looked at two kings. Um, One king who was declared the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, who gave us a proverb about how to be wise in regards to who we follow in the direction of our life. And then a second king who's actually wiser than the first king, and his name was Jesus, and he gave us a parable, uh, a picture of some wisdom that we can take as to how to live wisely as it relates to who we follow. And the question I kind of started with and left you with was the question was this. um, Following always leads somewhere. We know that intuitively, duh, right? Does who you follow lead you to the somewhere you want to be? Does who you follow lead you to the somewhere you want to be? Because it will lead you somewhere, right? Well, King Solomon and King Jesus kind kind of push on that question. They say, you got to take that question a little further. And so we added three words that get us to kind of pull back and think through this question in a holistic sense. Not only does who you follow lead you where you want to be, does who you follow lead you where you want to be in the end? Does it lead you to where you want to be in the end? And with this question, we kind of zoom out on our life. Does who I follow, what I follow, lead me to where I want to be in the end, well, as we continue today, we're going to look at, I think, the greatest, grandest invitation humanity's ever been given. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the challenge of faith. I don't know if this is true for you, but for many of us, uh, faith is a challenge. the The Christian faith is a challenge. The Bible is a challenge there's things about the christian faith that are just a barrier or a blockade or a hill that's hard to get over and i don't know if you've had some of these challenges in your faith journey or as you've considered the christian faith uh, or the bible as it as it stands uh, that you've hit some of these roadblocks maybe uh the roadblock for you is is if god is a good god how come he allows so much suffering in the world and that's just a barrier, a block, a blockade to your faith. Um, maybe for you, uh, it's creation. I mean, God created the world. Is it in six days, literally? Or is it like over a period of time? And if he did it in six literal days, how did he do it? And if he did it over a period of time, how did he do it? And, and scripture doesn't give us all of the hows and the intricacies. And, and it's a barrier to your faith. Uh, Maybe for you, it's the flood. I mean, can God, did the flood actually happen? I mean, is it possible for the whole world to be underwater and then the waters recede and now there's dry ground? I mean, is that even possible? And how did that work? And it's a barrier to your faith. Maybe for some of you, it's all of the death that shows up in the Old Testament, right? It's like you read the Old Testament, you're like, I don't know about this whole faith thing. I don't know. Maybe for you, it's that crazy story about Jonah being swallowed by a fish and, and then he's gets vomited out, and he lived to tell of it. It's like, is that even possible? And it's a barrier to your faith. You know, I was talking with someone a number of months back, and they were just talking about faith with them, and, and, and I asked them, like, are you willing to take the step of faith to believe? And they're like, do I have to accept all of it? <laughs> like, I still have some questions. I still have some doubts. I'm like, oh, I got lots of questions and doubts, too. There's things that I still don't quite understand. And man, if I could have a face-to-face with God, I'd ask him some questions. So I say, maybe you don't have to accept all of it, but let's start with Jesus. And this person was like, okay, I can start with Jesus and we'll make sense of the rest of it later. And we started there, but maybe for you, you, you've come today or maybe you're listening online and you're like, I don't even know if I can start with Jesus. Well, I wanna tell you today that 2,000 years ago, We, humanity, was given an invitation that I think predates faith. It comes before faith. It's prior to faith. It's simpler than simply saying, I believe. Because you're like, I don't know if I believe. And there's this invitation before you even believe. But this invitation, if you accept it, it will, in my opinion, take you further than simply checking off uh, "I believe or I believe in that statement of faith. It's an invitation that's so simple and yet is so deep. And to find this invitation, I want to invite you to go to John chapter one. And Jesus is the one who gave this invitation. And the story goes this way, starting in chapter one, verse 35. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, this is super confusing, okay? Because this John is not this John, even though John wrote this story. This John happens to be one of these two disciples, but he's not this John. So it's very confusing, okay? So let me describe it this way. John, this John, who wrote this all down, should have put a little description behind this guy's name so we know who he is, but I'll just tell you who he is. This John is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was this crazy guy. lived in the first century, came before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. And he was crazy because he, he ate locusts and wild honey, lived out in the desert, had camel's hair for a clothing. And he preached this crazy message that, in essence, it went this way. I'll just tell you the Coles Notes version You're all a bunch of sinners, repent. And then, as a sign that you've repented, he would dunk you in water, okay? That was like the craziness. And it wasn't like nice water, it was the Jordan River water, which is like mud. So he was like, You're all a bunch of sinners, you need to repent and if you're willing to repent, I'm going to throw you in some water and we're going to move on, right? But here's the crazy thing. People came from everywhere, from miles and miles. They would walk days to hear this crazy guy preach and be dunked into the water as a sign that they accepted that they were sinners and that they were going to go the other direction and follow God. And so this is John, the next day, John, John the Baptist, that is. He was there again with two of his disciples. These two disciples was John. He writes his story about this unbelievable, grand and great invitation of Jesus. So he's one of the disciples. The other guy's name is Andrew. So John the Baptist was there with Andrew and John, his disciples. And when he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Wow, that's inspiring, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I've never, never been with someone, and we're hanging out, and all of a sudden, like, whoa, 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 look at the lamb, right? It's like, what what, what is that? You know, even when it comes to Jesus, I mean, who of us think of Jesus as lamb? Uh, Right? Like, few of us do, right? I mean, Maybe uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've heard some things about Jesus. You're like, when I think of Jesus, I think like maybe miracle worker or self-proclaimed miracle worker, a teacher. He taught some really good things on morals and ethics and love. I like some of that. Uh, Maybe if you are a follower of Jesus, some of the first things, the descriptive words that come to your mind when you think of Jesus is like Messiah, a babe in a manger, a guy on a cross, Savior, Lord, maybe even King. But in today's world, I mean, few of us, when we hear the word Jesus, think lamb. But here's the interesting thing it is not inspiring to us, but it was most inspiring to them. In fact, it was so crazy and such an amazingly descriptive and inspiring word that when the two disciples, John and Andrew, heard John the Baptist say this, they followed Jesus. This was inspiring enough that instead of saying, John, you're crazy, you eat some crazy things, we're done with you, we're going with the guy you say is the lamb. And see, this isn't inspiring for us, but this was for them. And here's why. For a good Jewish Israelite boy, they grew up understanding some things about the world. That God had created the world perfect. That there was no brokenness nature was was at peace with nature. Nature was at peace with humanity. Humanity was at peace with other humanity. Humanity was at peace with God. There was no brokenness in the world. It was paradise. And yet God in that paradise had told the man and the woman, you can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. But there is one thing you cannot do. And if you do this, you will bring death into the world, and you will bring death into yourselves. And the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, ate of of the uh, fruit that that God had said you cannot eat. And the moment they ate of the fruit and disobeyed God, sin entered the world, it entered their lives, and death entered the world, and death entered their lives. And ever since, the world's been a mess. And you know this, because your world's a mess, and my world's a mess, and our world. Is a mess. But then God, in His absolute mercy, and this is part of the Old Testament, maybe you read and you're like, I just don't know if I can reconcile that with faith. But God, in His mercy, is an act of mercy, said, Although you deserve to die for your sin, because sin always brings death, I will allow you to kill an animal on your behalf so that you can have some sort of communion, some sort of peace with me, because they could not have communion with God, because guess what? God is life. And they had just accepted death. So God said, you can kill an animal. So you can have some some kind of semblance of communion with me, who is life. And so guess what they killed? Oh, it's not here anymore. A lamb. They killed a lamb. And for hundreds of years, and over a thousand years, Day after day after day, blood was spilt in the city of Jerusalem, in the tabernacle, in the temple. There was just blood everywhere. And I don't know if you know stuff about blood, but blood stains, you just don't wash that away. And so there was just this blood culture. And it was this constant reminder we're still sinners. Because killing a lamb didn't take away sin. It covered it for a moment, but then you'd sin again, and you were in the wrong again. And so another lamb had to be killed. And so this was just perpetual. And they had to, it was just constant, constantly this blood culture. And, and so suddenly John the Baptist stands up and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And John and Andrew say, What? There's a lamb that comes from God because the old lamb, it was like a band-aid on a broken leg. It didn't take sin away, it just covered it for a moment. And suddenly, like, there's a lamb of God who can actually take away, take away the sin of the world. And they're like, We're done with you, John. Enjoy the locusts. We're following. Jesus didn't eat locusts. I think that was a pull too, but I don't know. We're following him. But here's the interesting, this is my interpretation from the story, maybe you disagree, but I think as they followed Jesus, they weren't quite sure. I think John was like, look, the Lamb of God, and they're like, what? You call him a lamb? And they started to follow Jesus, but they were kind of like, I'm not sure if we believe John. We're not sure, Jesus, if you are the Lamb. And so they kind of were like hiding behind trees and like kind of following Jesus. Like, let's be honest, they were just stalking Jesus, okay? This is what they were doing. They're just stalking Jesus, and they're trying to like kind of follow him, but they're not totally in. They're like, we're, we're not telling him we're following him. We're just going to stalk him. <laughs> and Jesus eventually he picks it up. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked an important question. What do you want? <laughs> you know, if God came to you and asked you this question, what is it you want? How would you respond? You know, probably when we live in the moment, it's like, God, do you what I want? I want that promotion. Right? God, do you what I want? I really want a girlfriend right now, right? I really want a spouse. God, I don't want to be alone. God, I need a little more money. God, I want that car. God, I want. What is it you want? But let's say you pulled out a couple hundred feet from your here and now, and you looked at your life at 50, 60, 70, or 80 years old. From that perspective, what do you want? And from that perspective, maybe many of us would say, you know what I want? I just want to have a good marriage. I want to have a relationship with my kids, my family. I want them to like me and me to like them. You know, if I don't have a family, I want to live in a community where I have relationship and love. And let's say you pulled out a few thousand feet from that and you looked at your life through the lens of eternity. And God came to you and asked you, what do you want? And do you what most of us would say from that perspective? Do you what I want? I want to know that I'm good. That when I face my maker, when I face the one I'm accountable to, when I face the judge, that we're good. That I have peace with God. So it's a loaded question. And, and Andrew and John have kind of been stalking Jesus, and he kind of notices, and finally he turns around and says, hey guys, what do you want? And I think their answer is hilarious. This is a true story, okay? John wrote this, this is like, this, he's telling his story. This is like my story, John's saying. This is what he says. Uh, they said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> really? So you're stalking the Lamb of God, kind of sneaking around, and he turns around and says, what do you want? And you're like, uh, or mm, uh, rabbi, uh, where are you sleeping tonight, right? Like what? But here's the thing. I don't think they were quite willing to be vulnerable. See, the truth was, they could have answered this way. Well, there's this crazy guy, John the Baptist. We don't agree with all his dietary decisions, Jesus, but he's a crazy guy. But he said, you're the lamb, and we're not sure you're the lamb, so we're just kind of trying to check things out. That would have been vulnerable. But they didn't want to get that vulnerable, so they just kind of like, where are you sleeping? I love Jesus' response. And this is the grand, the greatest invitation of humanity. Jesus said this, Come come and you will see. He did not say, can you check off this theological box of what you believe? Ah, you don't believe, you don't believe I'm the lamb? You're out. Just come. Come with your doubts. Come with your I'm not sure, your apprehensions. Just come the way you are. Just come and see. Come and see who I am. And then John gives us some completely useless information. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Who cares what time it is, right? It's like, this is a story, but here, this is so important. There are moments in your life, both tragic, negative, and dramatic positive, that you cannot erase from your memory, can you? that there is a moment in your life when something happened and that something turned into another thing that happened, that turned into another thing that happened and it changed the trajectory of your life and you know the weather on that day, you know what you were wearing that day, you know the smell of the perfume or cologne you wore that day, it is burned into your memory because it changed the trajectory of your life and this is what John's saying, he's like, this is my story. I wasn't sure about Jesus. I was like, the lamb? Is he really the lamb? And he said, come and see. And in that moment, the trajectory of my life was changing. Guess what? It was four in the afternoon, I remember. Because Jesus said, come. Come and see. And when he came to see, it changed everything. Well, Andrew, the other guy, Simon Peter's brother as well, was one of the two who heard what John, the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus so John and Andrew had followed Jesus on this particular day the first thing and this is so interesting the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah that is the Christ and this is what happens when your life is changed you can't help but tell others and when you come and see Jesus and you come into into connection and interaction with the Lamb of God the reaction is this you start to tell your sphere of influence The people that you bump into every single day, your family, your friends, your spouse, your kids, you start to tell them, you gotta come and meet the Messiah, the Christ. And so he brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which which when translated is Peter. Well, the next day, John tells us, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And this is so interesting. He does not say, do you believe? Also an invitation of Jesus, but not the first invitation. He doesn't say, will you check off these theological boxes? What's your perspective on Jonah and the whale? He says, would you follow, would you come after me? And Philip like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael, his friend. They just keep telling others, right? This is what happens when you come and see Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and he told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And do you know what Nathanael's response is? Can anything good come from Nazareth, Right? Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? <laughs> he didn't believe either. He was skeptical. And do you know why he says Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Because Nathanael was from Cana. Cana's the rival town. It's just down the road from Nazareth. And I don't know, you probably know this, right? You grew up in a small town, and there's that town down the road. Whenever you hear about that town down the road, you're like, that town, right? It's like that town. This is that town. Some of you aren't getting it. It's kind of like this. Troshu. Can, can anything good come from? And all you Troshu people I know, you're like, Three Hills. Can anything good, right? Linden, whatever. We'll offend everyone. But this is the point. He's like, there is no way. There, I have read the Old Testament. The Messiah does not come from Nazareth. There's a barrier, a block to his faith. And I love Philip, he, he's, he says, well, why don't you just come and see? <laughs> I love. He, he's not like, Nathaniel, we're going to settle this right now. We're arguing it out, and if I win, you're coming. It's like, no, Nathaniel, you're smarter than me. You're smarter. You're a better arguer. You can win this. Why don't you just come and see? And I wonder as followers of Jesus... If this is the perspective we need to take with those who are skeptical, have blocks and roadblocks to their faith. And too often I wonder if we're trying to argue people into belief. Like if I just argue and if I win, bam, you're gonna believe. And maybe we need to take the approach of Philip. You know what? I don't know what your roadblock is and you're smarter than me. And do you sometimes it's so personal. Would you just come and see? I know don't, I don't know. Just come and see. Come and meet Jesus. Well, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, You trash my hometown boy? He didn't say that. Because Jesus is not offended with our doubt and our roadblocks. Jesus said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit and that could mean a whole bunch of things we don't understand but undoubtedly it means this (laughs) nathaniel you're a truth guy and you're not going to settle until you find the truth you don't want a half truth you don't want a three-quarters truth there is no deceit you truly are an israelite you are seeking god you are fully after god And in this statement, I don't know what it was, but something impacted Nathanael that he responded this way. How do you know me? When Jesus said this, it touched something at the very deepest part of Nathanael. It wasn't just this kind of glazed over like, hey, you're kind of a good guy. Well, that could apply to a whole bunch of guys. Is that me? When Jesus said this, it hit the very core of who Nathanael was. And when he heard this, he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you know me? We haven't met. You knew the very core of who I am. How do you know me? And then Jesus responded, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, I don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. And we can just guess and we can have our, 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 our best Uh, uh, guess at what happened, but something happened under the tree. Some people think maybe Nathanael was specifically praying, God, would you show me the Messiah? God, would you show yourself to me? And he heard or saw a vision, or maybe he heard uh, an impression from God saying, I'm going to show you. And then Jesus showed up and said, I was there and I heard your prayer and I showed up. But whatever it was, it caused Nathanael in one sentence to say, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? To you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He came and he saw and it changed everything. And notice, Jesus does not give him a verse and say, well, look, if you look, the prophet said Nazareth was the town. He did not overcome his barrier He simply came in contact with the Lamb of God. And then Jesus responds, I love this. Jesus says this. Jesus said, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's what he said. It's true. It's in the Greek, I translated it. Okay, the way your Bible has it is this way. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. See, I told you, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? You will see greater things. And then he goes on, he said to them, and then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You ain't seen nothing yet. There's so much more from where that came from. See, Nathaniel, you believe because I told you what I saw. But belief is not my end game. See, if Jesus was only concerned, about making believers who sign off on a statement of faith, who said a prayer once. He would have said, check, Nathaniel's in, who's next? Let's make some more believers. And I'm not saying that because Jesus didn't want us to believe. In fact, John, who wrote this, at the end of his gospel says, I write all these things so that you will believe. Belief is so, so important, but belief at least according to this story, and I think according to the New Testament, was part of the journey what Jesus calls us into. And when Jesus said, come and see, if you come and see long enough, you start to follow, and you follow long enough, at some point you will believe, but that doesn't mean you stop. I said a prayer, I checked the box, I'm done. Uh Uh-uh, because even after he believed, what did Jesus say to Nathaniel? There's so much more come and see. Come follow me. See, we can settle. We can settle for belief when Jesus actually called us to something beyond. A belief that actually changes. When I'm talking about belief, I'm talking the way we think of belief. I just have this cognitive agreement to that philosophy or that claim or that religion. But Jesus called us to come and see, to be changed, to be consumed by our belief so that we follow him and become like him. See, I think from this story, I think there's a a call for all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're on the front end, you're not even on the front end of faith, you're on the front end of the front end of faith, and you're like, I don't even know. But there's a call for all of us, and it's this. We all, we all ought to be a come and see kind of people. We all, regardless of where we are, ought to be a come and see kind of people because here's the question. Does who you follow lead you to the somewhere you want to be in the end? And I guarantee you, and this is why this is the greatest invitation of history and humanity. When Jesus said come and see, he called us to, to follow someone who would lead us to where we want to be in the end. And so we all ought to be, even if you're not sure yet and you've got your roadblocks, and you got your barriers to faith, and there's all, and you're you're smart, there's all these things that keep you from following. Would you just come and see? Would you just come and see? For those of you on the front end of faith, uh, I want to invite you, would you come and see? And maybe you're like Nathaniel today. And you've got your intellectual, yeah, but Nazareth? Yeah, but the Old Testament? Yeah, but what about... And maybe for you, it's even personal. And you prayed, and you asked God to spare your loved one, and he still took them, and you're like, if God who says he's loving still does that, I don't think I can believe. And you've got your roadblock like Nathaniel. And I want to tell you today, I don't think I can out-argue your roadblock. I don't think I can overcome by argument or intellectual astuteness your barrier to faith, but what I can do is this. Would you come and see? Like Nathaniel, sometimes when it gets personal, an unexplainable truth becomes an undeniable reality. And this unexplainable truth, Nazareth, the Messiah from Nazareth, I can't explain it. And when he met Jesus, suddenly an unexplainable truth said, you are the Lamb, the Messiah, the Rabbi. And I don't know if at some point down the way, Jesus kind of explained how it all worked. So let me just explain this for you. But I think at that moment, the question, the barrier, the roadblock for Nathaniel, suddenly it was a little bit less important. Because Jesus was so, so great. So I don't know what your roadblock is, but I want to invite you, would you come and see? Would you come and meet Jesus? And as you do, and I've got my list of questions, but I imagine one day when I get face-to-face with Jesus, and I have my list of questions, the questions might just not be quite as important anymore. Because I came, and I saw, and I experienced the presence of Almighty God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We all ought to be come-and-see kind of people. Now, for those of us who are, are followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we accepted an invitation of Jesus to believe, but we have not accepted the first invitation of Jesus to come and see. And we have stunted our growth as followers of Jesus. Oh, we signed a checklist, we said a prayer, we said, I believe in that. And then we turned around and we lived our lives however we wanted but jesus called us to something further than just checking a box or saying a prayer he called us into a come and see kind of relationship into a faith that's more than simply religion see he called us to a relationship with him not religion alone and there is religion in the christian faith we do religious duties over and over you do that in your relationship with your wife if you have a good marriage you are religious about your marriage Sometimes you do it when you don't feel like it. You're just religious about it. But he didn't call us into a religion to check off some boxes and then go live how we want. He called us into a relationship, into a come and see relationship where we would be transformed from the inside out. See, because when all we do is adhere to a religion and we check off some belief boxes and then live how we want, we... And the church history is full of the church and Christians doing things that Jesus would never have done. But when we come and see, and we start to live like Jesus, oh, we believe in him, that's important, but we start to live like him, and we start to do as Jesus would do. The other reason I think uh, being a come and see kind of people as followers of Jesus And I think we see this in the story as well. When Jesus calls us to follow him, there will be things in our future that are going to be hard. Faith and journeying with Jesus isn't easy. And if we just check some boxes of belief adhered to a statement of faith or a theological summation of the world and God, What happens when the hard times come? We've never come to see Jesus. We've never met him. We don't have the depth of relationship. And our faith may only be an inch thick. But when we've come to see, and Jesus knew this about Nathanael, he said, you believe, but don't stop following me. There is even greater things because one day Nathanael and John and Peter would face a future of persecution and difficulty. And they would look back to their relationship with Jesus and they would persevere and stand firm. We all ought to be a come and see kind of people. So maybe you're like, well, what do I do? I'm here, I'm, how do I even start being a come and see kind of person? I'm front end of faith or I've been following Jesus, or I, I said a prayer once, how do I become a come and see kind of follower? Let me describe one. This isn't found in scripture anywhere, but I'm just going to give you one thing you can do as you think about journeying with Jesus. There's just Pastor Alvin to you, okay? Um, what I invite you to do this week and for the next three weeks is read one chapter of the Gospel of John, which is the story we just read. One chapter every day. And if you only get to, you know, four chapters a week or three or five, it's Okay. Just read one chapter a day. Now, if you already have your Bible reading plan or you do something else, do whatever you're doing and continue with that. But if you aren't doing anything, you're like, I wanna be a come and see kind of follower of Jesus. Read one chapter every day and then ask these three questions. The first question is this, who is Jesus? And John gives us all kinds of description about who Jesus is. And just simply ask that question as you read, who am I learning? Who is Jesus? God, would you show me? I wanna come and see I want to meet Jesus. Who is Jesus in that chapter? Secondly, how does he treat others? Because how he treats others is really, really important. And it connects with the third question. Let's say I wanted to follow him. And maybe you're not there yet, but you're going to come and see. If I were a follower of Jesus, based on what I just read, who he is and how he treats others, how would I follow him today? Just today. And the next day, do the same thing. Read a chapter and say, who is Jesus? How does he treat others? And if I were to follow him, be a come and see kind of follower, how would I live today? And along the way, you may say, I believe. I check the box. I'm all in. And we are saved when we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. But he called us to journey with him, to a relationship with him. I want to invite you to be a come and see kind of follower. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. John's story of how he met Jesus and how it transformed his life. And John's version of how Peter met Jesus and it changed his life. And how Andrew met Jesus and it changed his life. And how Philip met Jesus and it changed his life. And how Nathaniel trash-talked Jesus' town. And then Jesus, you changed his life. And Father, I don't know where we're at in our faith journey. Each one of us is at a different place. But Father, would we, would you give us wisdom to know what it looks like to be a come and see, follower, coming after you kind of person? Whether we're on the front end or we're we're all in and we ascribe to who you are, Jesus, that we would be those who journey with you. And Father, Give us the wisdom to do that and then give us the courage to step in. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.